Exceeding Expectations, episode 84. Learning to see the value that you add as a business person to your customers means you have to get to their point of view, not yours. That's hard, but it's vital. And, and that was the thing that I realized that the questioning that I do with people the, and the recontextualizing I can do from my experience was giving them that insight of how their customers would see them in everything they do. And that had real value. So to me, that's the, that was the shift. It was recognizing that clarity wasn't the thing they were worried about. Self-doubt was. They are the words of William Bruce, who is our guest today. And he's going to tell us a little more about clarity and networking and risk management and many other areas. So if you know anyone who maybe needs help with any of those areas, why not share the episode with them? Leave a review for us on iTunes or Stitcher or any of the other podcast platforms. And it will be great also if you subscribe so you can hear our episodes as they come out on a weekly basis. This is the podcast where we aim to give you ideas how you can give your customers better experiences that enable you to get better testimonials, referrals, and hopefully more money and enjoyment as well. So today's episode with William Brist. Exceeding expectations, my guest today is William Bust. How are you, William? I'm very well, thanks, Tony, and thank you for inviting me on. No problem at all. Now, how are you coping with all the madness? <laughs> well, it is a bit mad. We're here. We are. Where are we now? Sort of beginning of April, and uh, coronavirus is, seems to have a firm hold on the UK. And I've been working from home without really getting out for a couple of weeks now. So uh, you can get a bit stir crazy from time to time, but mostly I'm uh, I'm kind of quite enjoying it as a change in the way I'm working and thinking about new ways mm-hmm. to do stuff. And how is it? Because you're in the West Country, aren't you? Yeah, I live uh, just on the on the Welsh borders, uh, a couple of miles north of Chepstow. And so, how is it around there? Oh, we're um, not too bad, actually. I think we're in the part of the country that has the lowest uh, infection rate of known infections. Of course, we don't know exactly how many there are, and the mm-hmm. uh, the death rate currently is quite low here too. So, fingers crossed. You know, I can stay in my house and avoid getting infected until uh, until it's gone or we've got a vaccine or whatever we need so I, mm-hmm. i'm hopeful that it'll be uh, you know over as quickly as it can as long as we keep to the rules mm. and how is it affecting your business um well my business is a mentoring business so i work one-to-one with business owners and uh, it's definitely changed it um i've been uh, lucky in that the customers that i have the clients that i have are not in industries that are directly affected by coronavirus. So they're not in retail or in, uh, in the events business. So mm-hmm. most of them are still trying to work out how to uh, how to manage their businesses in this curious time. Um, mm-hmm. And as a mentor to them, that's given me some opportunities to you know, share some of my advice and, and the experience that I've had over the years of working from home, which, which many of them haven't done. So um, I'm no busier than I was before. I think it's very difficult to get new clients in the current market, but I'm fortunate that I haven't lost any either. So that's good. Hmm. And were you prior to this, did you do much online? Um, I, I've been very active online through most of my uh, time running a business. So I've been involved in social media in uh, right really from the point when it first started. Um, hmm. And I do share a lot of things uh, online in terms of you know insights knowledge 
skills, stuff that I've learned over the years, uh, really aimed at helping other businesses to build better businesses, which is the core purpose of why I, why I do what I do. And how, how did that all come about? Well, that's a, it's an interesting question. I was, uh, I was in the insurance industry, so you know, I've, I've obviously left a far more exciting career behind me somewhere. Um, <laughs> I was the chief underwriter for one of the insurance companies, and, and in that role, did a lot of risk management work as well. And we were, I was running fairly big projects and, and building teams of people to deliver projects, and it kind of dawned on me that. That setting up a project in a large organization and bringing together a team of people and getting the work done and setting up the goals and the mission and all the team values and all of those things, it's very like setting up a business. Um, mm. And so I kind of took those skills from the bank um, that I was working at, at the time um, and, and put them into a business that was really about helping others. Initially, at least, you know, the prime driver was about building teams quickly, collaborating quickly. Um, and um, then 2008 came along and we had the uh, financial crisis then. And I had to pivot the business at that point because I'd mostly been working still in the financial services sector. And uh, at that point, I started working with some much smaller businesses and really enjoyed the challenges they were facing um you know very small businesses don't have all the skills they need they have you know a lot of times they're doing things that their owners think are are not not their core skill and yet they want to be excellent at them they want to you know be the best they can be and i had some insight and experience and skills to bring to bear on that so that's kind of very quickly that's my story of how i get to where i am today and so you said you were working mostly in this financial sector. So it sounds from at that time you kind of diverged. And is that still the case now? Do you do work with a lot of different industries? Um, I do still have some financial services clients, but I'm also working with uh, other businesses that are providing services to business generally. So they're not B2C, the business to consumer. They're, they're more B2B companies. So people like mm-hmm. training companies, publishing houses, um, that kind of thing, marketing agencies, and so on. Mm. And because you do quite a bit of speaking as well, don't you? I do, um, and I speak about building better business. Uh, I look at that from really this part of the, the way that I address the strategic oversight of a business is to look in five key areas, signposting, sales, skills within the business, systems within the business, and self, particularly of the business owner. Um, and I talk about those five areas um, in order to, you know, again, share the knowledge amongst the business community uh, mm-hmm. so that they can build the better businesses they want. And is your what is your intention with your speaking? Is it purely to help? Or do you get much business from that? I mean, what is it the aim for? Um, oh, it's definitely um, been really beneficial for generating leads for the business and, and helping people to understand how I think, which I think is it's really important if you're going to take on a coach or a mentor in, in your business that you have a really good understanding of how they work and how they think and that that's aligned with your values and things. And the speaking lets people see that. Uh, and, you know, I'm sure that some people in the audience think, you know, I really want to work with this guy and other people in the audience have never worked with him in a million years. And that's fine, um, you know, because we, we, can't be, uh, we can't be everything to everyone. We need to be the right things to the right people. 
And you're pretty knowledgeable and pretty active in the whole kind of networking community, aren't you? I try to be. I'm not. I mean, I certainly try to be active. Um, it's kind of you to say that I'm knowledgeable. Thank you for that. I guess that's, um, you know, partly is a question of having been working for rather too many years, probably. And so how, I mean, because you started a few different networking groups, haven't you? Yeah, so I, I was I was actively involved with uh, a network called eAcademy, which was kind of like LinkedIn before mm. LinkedIn. It started in the late mm. 90s. Um, so, you know, around about the time I started my business, which is not that far apart. Um, and uh, it, it grew quite quickly in the very early days of, uh, of social networking. Then the LinkedIn and the free and the Facebooks and the other free networks came along and the kind of became very difficult for that to survive with the power that those other networks had. And so it's, it was subsumed really into the, the wider social media uh, world. But I've always been active in that, that arena. I've got a large group on uh, Facebook called We're Better Connected, uh, which is uh, about a thousand members, just over a thousand members now. Um, and, and the prime reason those are there is just to share a bit of knowledge and, and skill and experience and get to know other people you know, it's it's the more we know each other and what we stand for and what we do, the more that we can refer each other and, and get the right person to be doing the job that needs doing. And by the right person, I mean, you know, the one who is going to deliver the best output and ex- coming back to the topic of your podcast, you know, exceed the expectations of the people they work for. Mm. I mean, in your with your knowledge of networking, where, where do you think it is people most well, go wrong with networking? I think they go into a network thinking that it's a sales channel and it's to me it's a relationship building channel mm. um, so you know we've all I'm sure been to networking events uh, when we could all meet I mean at the moment we can't but I'm sure we've all been to them where you, you get somebody who kind of hogs your space and wants to tell you about the thing they have that they do that they want you to buy mm-hmm. um, and you know, they're talking to you in the room as if you're the customer. And I, what I think, you know, is much more effective is to talk to the other person in a networking environment about all the people they know and, and, and think about how do you go th- through the people in the room to the wider network. Um, and, and if they are going to be out in their network advocating you, they have to like you, they have to know you, they have to understand what you do, they have to know where it, where it fits, where it works, and they have to want to take that message out to other people. Um, and that's mm. all about relationships. It's not about selling. Mm. And what was it? Because I know you, you're, you mentioned about the sort of mentoring as well. Did the, well, when did the mentoring start? Well, that, that really came about, I guess, uh, uh, from the, the, the shift that I made in 2008 when the, uh, the banking crisis uh, came along. Um, and... Uh, because I needed to pivot the business. Up until then, I'd been uh, still really looking at you know uh, team team dynamics within organisations and, and particularly project management of, of reasonably large projects in reasonably large companies. Um, and um, you know it was it was after the financial crisis that I started realising that what people were uh, really seeking out from me was what was in my head in terms of experience and knowledge and, and the skill of doing stuff rather mm. than wanting me to do it for them. Um, mm. And so, uh, you know, that's that's when that pivot really took place. 
And do you, do you enjoy mentoring people? Oh, absolutely. I'm, I, I have so much fun. And I hope they do too, but, I, you know, it seems, seems to me they do too. Um, mm-hmm. I think there's a, you know, there's a real joy in um, kind of learning together. It's, it's not just a transfer of knowledge and experience. It's also about thinking about context and the context of the business challenge that we're talking about. That might be about harnessing an opportunity, you know, launching a new product and taking that to market, or it might be an issue with the business that is holding it back in some way. But, you know, the opportunity to work on it together and draw on different experiences and recontextualize them uh, is, you know, when you get to the right place and the, and the problems are solved or the opportunity is grasped, you know, there's an awful lot of fun in that. And I, and I love it. There's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of misunderstanding around the difference between mentoring and coaching, isn't it? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think they're on a scale, actually, that runs sort of from, from coaching at one end of the scale that I have in my head to, to probably consulting at the other end. Um, so coaches are really, um, and I think, you know, all of these things have value. There's no right and wrong. There's, there's not a question of you shouldn't have a coach, you should have a mentor or vice versa at all. You need different skills at different times. And I use all of the techniques, consulting techniques, mentoring techniques, and coaching techniques. So to me, the coaching is about exploring what an individual knows and understands about themselves through good questioning. Mm-hmm. Consulting is about providing knowledge, skill, and experience to an organization or a person from your knowledge and skill and experience. Mentoring kind of sits in the middle of that. It's drawing on my experience, but it's allowing but it, it, it works best when it's using coaching techniques to draw out from the, the other person, the mentee, what exactly is underlying their issue and getting them to have clarity about that and then providing uh, collectively, mutually a way forward. And as I say, I think there's, there's a, there is a lot of confusion. I don't think there should be. I think there are, let's say, a spectrum of the techniques you use. Um, and, and where the knowledge and the skill and the experience sits, you know, which person it sits in and how does it flow between them. I'm not sure if that clears it up, but that's kind of how I view the whole thing. Right, okay. And what what would, so say if someone approached you about wanting maybe you to be a mentor for them, what would you, what is it, is there certain things you look for and are there things that you would, that would make you not want to work with someone? Oh, it's a really good question. And I, it comes back to something I said a little bit earlier. I think, you know, the chemistry has to be right. You have to, mm. you have to kind of re- get on reasonably well, otherwise the, the relationship won't work. Mm. Um, I think um, in coaching, there doesn't have to be as much uh, obvious synergy around the skills and, and experience of the market that the customer's in. Um, because you're questioning them about those things. They, they bring that knowledge. I think for a mentor, there needs to be some, uh, you know, some experience that is relevant to the business that you're talking about. It doesn't have to be directly the same. So, you know, I've never been, for example, uh, a publisher, but I have a client who's a publisher. Uh, but I, I know enough about communication and writing and how to get messages across. And I know enough about production of, of, um, you know, printing and that sort of thing that mm. allows me to take that knowledge and experience and apply it in their market. So mm. that I think some overlaps in, in sector knowledge, important. Um, chemistry, though, by far the most important thing. You know, do you get on and are you going to respect the conversations that, that you have together uh, both mm. ways? You know, and is the, is the trust. Mm. 
with the, the clients that you've worked with, have they, any of them sort of had results that they just simply weren't expecting from, from working with you? Um, I think probably they've all had results they weren't expecting, actually, uh, in, in many ways. It's, um, mm. you know, it's, we, we live in a very changing, changing time right now. It makes a lot of these things very obvious that change is, is affecting us quite deeply. But actually, change is going on all the time anyway, just at a different level. And uh, I think what I've brought to most of my clients that's unexpected for them is that I've enabled them to see opportunity they would otherwise have missed. Mm. Um, And that's partly because I'm another pair of eyes, uh, and it's partly Mm. because I'm another pair of eyes that's looking from a different mountaintop to them. Um, Mm. So I'm not seeing things through the lens of their market. I'm seeing things through a lens of what I know and what I've experienced. And that sometimes lets me see things that they would just miss because they're too close to it. Um, and that's where the surprises have been, and the you know the, the the things that have made them go, "This is this is really valuable to me." Mm. And I believe you've got a specific example of that. Haven't you? Well, yeah, I was um, I recently asked to to speak at an event, um, which was a, a new event, a company that was starting up a new uh, series of talks for uh, use in the education sector and uh, they'd invited me to speak and I went along did what I always do when I'm speaking which is you know picked up my uh, bag of, of tools and tricks that I carry with me just in case um, so I'm a, I'm a real believer in redundancy when you're speaking you get on a stage and if the slides don't work you have to be able to deliver your talk anyway right um, mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, I've always tried to plan for those things. Um, and I arrived and uh, one of the things that uh, one of the other speakers said is, oh, there's no clock in here. Um, I, I need a timer. Uh, well, I had one in my bag. So, you know, out comes the timer. That's that problem sorted. And there were a couple of other things through the evening that I just had the right things with me because I've mm. done that kind of thing often enough to know what other people might forget and I knew this was a new business and I think that's you know another thing to bear in mind the context was somebody who hadn't run an event like this before and I've been to many of them so I just thought before I went right what would I you know if I was this was my event what would I make sure I had and where I had those things I took them with me and so the end result was of course they had a a much better event because they had the timers they had the cables they needed the clickers you know all of those things um Mm. And, um, you know, it's, it's just that kind of a little bit of thinking ahead that I think makes, can make the real difference. Mm. And, and so often when people are in a situation where the, the slides don't work or, you know, there's something wrong with the tech, it just, it, they just freeze. Yeah, they? yeah. And, and I, I learned that lesson the hard way. Uh, I did exactly that in my past. And I think, you know, now I have slides with very little text on. They're more... Um, in fact, there's another quote. I know you'll ask me about a quote later, but there's a quote I remember from years ago, which is about uh, you, a drunk, you know, you should use slides, in my opinion, in the way that a drunk uses lampposts for support, <laughs> not illumination. Um, <laughs> and I'm uh, paraphrasing a quote there. I can't remember whose it is either, but uh, maybe I'll, I'll dig out who it was and let you have that for the show notes. Yeah. Um. And, and I know that you've got an, another story about, was it redesigning um, the pr- uh, process? Yeah, so um, this was, this was uh, really quite interesting. I was working with a client, um, this is kind of last year, and they were talking about um, 
a number of challenges they had. One of which was that they, they work uh, on a retainer basis with their clients, and so they, they're you know expecting to get uh, a regular monthly commitment from their clients. And some of the clients were dropping off uh, their uh, product sooner than they expected. And so we took a look at what was going on there and we realized that because this was a, a product that involved a, a regular monthly conversation, it was very easy for people to uh, have a reason not to be on that conversation. And um, we had a look at the process they had and, and what we did was to introduce a couple of extra steps that really took very little time for the company to do during the month just to remind the client of what the next meeting was going to be, when it was, those kinds of things. But also to remind them of the value they were getting from them by referring back to something they'd expressed in the previous meeting that had been valuable. So it reinforced the value that they'd had and it reinforced when the next meeting would be. That did two things. One is it no-shows dropped off completely but also that the average length of time that the customer remained the customer didn't just go back to the level that they were expecting. It went about six months beyond that. Something I was thinking about earlier on when you were talking, when you were talking about networking and how you've been involved in it for such a long time, how has networking changed from what it was, say, 20 years ago to how it is now? Oh, it, it, in some ways, it hasn't changed at all. And in others, it's changed out of all recognition. Um, so the ways it hasn't changed at all, I kind of touched on one of them. There is still always those people who want to sell to you. And, and, and really, I'm amazed they don't get the message, but they don't. So they're still around. Um, that's a shame, really. It's a shame for them as much as for everybody else. Um, but I think how it has changed is that uh, there's been a lot more focus on networking. And it's changed in the sense of I think we've all got a better handle on uh better, not perfect, handle on how we can express what we do in a way that is uh, interesting and entertaining rather than, you know, just giving a job title. You know, I'm, an, I'm a lawyer or I'm an accountant, which really doesn't tell you very much other than the market sector that somebody's in. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think now people are much better at being able to tell a little bit of a story about who they are and who they need to speak to. That's great. Um, but I, you know, I think there's a long way to go on that journey too. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of buzzwords still that float around. Get rid of them. Nobody understands them anyway, so they don't help. Uh, and there's often a lot of waffle and, you know, actually cutting down and being really clear about what you do. It will really help those conversations to get going. And, and I think the other thing that, that's changed is that the way that we network changed. So, it used to be quite formal. It's now quite informal. There's a lot more networking that I see that is, um, you know, social, using social media in part um, to to set it up, but but also is more social in the way that the meetings are organised. You know, they're not quite so much of the um, everybody has you know sixty seconds here and has to do this there, and then we'll have that bit of the meeting over here. You know, now that there's a lot more uh, looseness and relationship based networking than they used to be and I think that's a good thing. Do you have any thoughts on how you think it might change in the next few years? Well I think uh, I think actually the coronavirus thing may well have an impact on that because I think it has shown people that it is possible to network remotely as well as together. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's reinforced the value of making phone calls uh, as much as uh, 
or even more than sending email. I mean, email at the moment is just getting lost in a in a mm. tsunami of uh, we know how to help you work from home um, emails mm. from all sorts of companies that have never known anything about it, which is entertaining. Um, so, you know, I think I'm finding because I know people will be at home, it's easy to get hold of people. We're having uh, more focused conversations uh, on the phone uh, and obviously using some of the technology, the Zooms and things like that, that uh, allow people to do video as well. And I think, you know, remembering that network isn't just a group activity, it's also a one-to-one, two-people activity. Um, And I think we'll see more of that and more opportunity to do that using some of the tools that have come around. Why would you drive for an hour to go and meet somebody for an exploratory one-to-one when you can do it on video conference now that everybody's getting more comfortable with it? You know, so I think that that is where we'll get a, a big change. And I think that you hit the nail on the head there. Now people are getting more comfortable with it because a lot of people just were just really put off by the whole thing. Mm. Well, it, it felt impersonal until it had to be personal. Mm. Now it has to be personal. Mm. It doesn't feel that way so much. Mm. Your people are just where well, they've been forced to get used to it in a very rapid space of time. Yeah. What What would you say are the um, for what you do? What What are the things that maybe people misunderstand about what it is that you do? Uh, as, and that's another great question. And for a long time, I talked to people about um, them, and I've just touched on this: them needing more clarity in their business, more clarity about how they express things. And uh, I think people thought. And they, and they, rightly so. You know, they felt they were clear enough. Um, and, and of course, clear enough is a is a it's a perspective thing, isn't it? You know, are you clear enough? Mm-hmm. Well, if you're getting the business that you need, then maybe you mm-hmm. are being clear enough. But if a lot of people are not understanding what it is you stand for, what you do well enough to be able to refer mm-hmm. you, you could be missing a lot of business as well. And never know it. Um, mm-hmm. And I, um, I think that my focus on talking about clarity meant people weren't understanding my clarity about how I could add value Uh, and it Mm. it really lack of clarity isn't the villain in their business but I think self-doubt is that people worried Mm. about am I good enough to do what I do you know having that feeling that little gremlin on the shoulder that is telling Mm. them that do you have the experience to be telling people about what they need to do? Or, you know, if you're a marketing agency, what gives you the right to go and talk to a company 20 times your size about how you do their marketing? Um, Mm. And I think that's not about clarity. That's about self-doubt. And um, learning to see the value that you add as a business person to your customers means you have to get to their point of view, not yours. That's hard, Mm. but it's vital. And, and that was the thing that I realized that the questioning that I do with people the, the, and the recontextualizing I can do from my experience was giving them that insight of how their customers would see them in everything they do. And that had real value. So to me, that's the, that was the shift. It was recognizing that clarity wasn't the thing they were worried about. Self-doubt was. Mm. And it's Well, I guess it's natural, isn't it? Because um, we all, I think everyone has self-doubt sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, and and for some people it's very constraining, um, and and you know they'll they'll make decisions based on the doubt rather than on all the evidence that is in front of them, from testimonials mm. and and invoices that are paid and so on, um, mm. and, and yet they'll still hold back from going after the next deal because they don't think it's it's mm. it's worthy of them or something, and and that's it, it is natural. It's part of being human. 
Um, mm-hmm. And I think, you know, it's, it's about looking at the, the techniques, the emotional techniques as well as, as physical and actual, you know, written down processes and things that can really make a difference there. I saw a really good explanation or description of why we have that imposter syndrome um, recently. And it was someone was saying that as children, we're, um, you know, everyone is much bigger than us, you know, our parents, mm-hmm. maybe elder siblings, and everyone is more, we, we perceive everyone as being knowing more about the world than we do, being more intelligent than we do. And so we just grow up with thinking that everyone knows more than we do. And some people just never kind of shift that. And it still goes into their adulthood as, you know, thinking like that. Yeah, and I think that's, I think that's really true. And also, I mean, I think there's some, there's, there's some things in education that, that make us always think about measuring ourselves against others. You know, the whole exam yeah, system and, you know, what mm. grade did you get? And, and whilst that's important in, in some aspects, it does create that sense of I need to decide if I'm, you know, am I as good as this person or better than them or worse than them? And it's, you know, to me, that's it's entirely the wrong measure. <laughs> mm. Yeah, very much. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. What, what would you, um, have you ever been on the receiving end of, a, of any good um, experiences that you weren't expecting? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's one that stood out to me for years and it was it was a, just imagine the night. There's a big thunderstorm raging overhead. It was a Saturday evening. It was about 10 o'clock, pouring with rain. And there's all of a sudden, there's an almighty bang, and all the lights go out in the house. Um, mm-hmm. And the, the house had been hit by lightning. The, the highest point in our house is where the electricity line comes in, so that's where the lightning had struck, and it had broken the electricity line. Mm-hmm. So uh, fortunately, the telephones uh, are on a different you know, they have their own power. So I was able to phone the electricity company. It was about, to say, about 10 o'clock on a Saturday night. I didn't really expect to speak to anybody. I expected to leave a message. Um, mm. And uh, I get, the phone gets answered by a person. And uh, I tell them that we've just been struck by lightning and that the cable's down. And they uh, asked me a few questions immediately. And I thought the questions were brilliant as well. So the first question was, is the power line safe and i said no it's not it's sitting sparking in a puddle she said fine well we'll get somebody out to that now make that safe she said do you have anybody in the house that is that needs electricity for medical reasons uh, no and do you have a deep freeze uh, to which i said no and she said fine so don't open the deep freeze um but it will keep the food cold and fre- you know fresh for several hours if you don't open it so just leave it alone so I thought, you know, there was some really good stuff there straight away, good advice that was obviously, you know, well rehearsed. And then she said, um, would you like us to come out tonight to try to fix it? Um, and I said, well, no, it's late. I'm going to go to bed soon. So, you know, let's not worry about that. She said, fine, we'll be with you at 8 o'clock in the morning, mm. Sunday morning. Okay. Right. And at 8 o'clock, and I mean 8 o'clock, not 7.59 or 8.01, at 8 o'clock, there's a knock on the door. And the guys are there to fix it. They go up the ladder. They sort it all out. Our electricity's back on. And so that's all great. What they then did was they came in and they said, if you'd like us to, we can just go around and check all your electronics and make sure that they're all okay because you could have had a, a power spike through them that would have blown them up and they may not be safe anymore, so we'll test them all. And we'll check mm. your food in the freezer. So they did a temp- put a temperature probe in the freezer and made sure the food was still safe and they checked all the televisions and things to make sure they were still safe to use um, mm. and I thought that bit really stood out to me as something that I was way beyond what I expected um, 
Mm. And, uh, you know, all sorts of odd things they did, like they took their boots off when they came into the house so they didn't mess up the carpets. You know, so just mm. tiny little touches. But it was 20 years ago, and I'm still telling that story. Um, and I think, yeah. to me, that's the thing. about When you do exceed expectations, even only a little bit, people talk about mm. it, it has real longevity. Mm. I mean, well, what, what does the phrase mean to you? Well, exceeding expectations. I, 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 to mm. me, it's, it's, it's not about going an extra mile. It's about going an extra inch. Mm. It's often the tiny little things that, that make an enormous difference. Um, mm. I, I know from my customers, one of the things that they say that I exceed their expectations in is that I am never late. Mm. <laughs> and it's just, it's, it was built into me by my parents. Yet their experiences that, that many other people are, you know, often, you know, caught of an hour late and it's kind of, oh, sorry, I'm late. If I was going to be caught of an hour late, you will know that something has held me up beyond my control because I will have phoned you, I will have got a message to you somehow. Um, and to me, that's the, you know, the expectations are quite a, often quite a really clear cut thing. You know, if you say we're going to meet as we did at three o'clock, you know, so I got on this at three o'clock. It took me a few seconds to get the software to work. So, you know, and, I, and that time I'm going, oh, what's going on? I need to, <laughs> I need to hurry this up or I will be late. Um, and, and that's, um, you know, I think it's, it's, it really isn't about going way beyond what people expect. It's about being everything that they do expect and then one or two little extra things. And that's what makes you memorable. Well, and in a way, from what you just said, some of it is um, just by meeting your own expectations, then you're going to go some way to, to exceed in other people's expectations. I, I think almost inevitably, because don't we set higher standards for ourselves? And we, you know, we forgive mm. other people for stuff, but we demand of ourselves almost mm. perfection. And if actually mm. we deliver that perfection rather than being relaxed about it when we don't, we will exceed mm. expectations. So it's, it's a kind of, I, I don't think it's hard to exceed expectations, but it is unusual. And because it's unusual, if you do, you stand out. And if you stand out, you yeah. will get more business and you will get the, the referrals and the, and the commentary that goes with it. And, and if it wasn't unusual, this show wouldn't exist. <laughs> That's true too. <laughs> Well, um, if, if people want to find out more about you, William, where, where's the best places for them to look? Well, one of the one of the great things with having an unusual name, so I, I almost advise anybody who hasn't got an unusual name to go and get one. Um, it's <laughs> quite easy to find me. So it's it's William Bust, B-U-I-S-T is the Bust bit. And if you search mm -hmm. for that, you find me very easily. The website is williambust.com. Um, and the email is william at williambeast.com. So that's all very easy to remember once you've got the spelling of the beast bit, right? Um, are, you, are you the only one on Google? Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm not, uh, but you have to now yeah. go a long way to find the 1950s American bodybuilder. <laughs> <laughs> so people often get you confused, I imagine. No, not really. <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, just a couple of things that, uh, that are there on the website that I think if, if people would like them, they're, they're both available free and I think, you know, add a bit of value too. So there's a business audit. So if you do run a business and you want to get some uh, advice and guidance on where you should focus your efforts for best effect, the audit will help you do that. Uh, both mm -hmm. of these are available from the homepage. You'll find them easily enough. And, uh, mm -hmm. and I also run a book club. So if you like reading and want to uh, read in company, uh, in the community, and have a chance to talk about the books you're reading, 
it's a business book club. It's not, we don't read fiction. Um, so just to be clear on that, then too, you'll find that too on the website. And just, I mean, how, how does that book club work? So what, so you would normally pick a book for what, for this month and then everyone would just give different views? I mean, how, how would it work? Yeah, so we, we read a book uh, during the month and then a few days after the end of the month we'll have a Zoom uh, conference call with those people who've been reading it, um, mm-hmm. just like any other book club really, to have a, a discussion about what you learned from the book, what you thought was done well, uh, maybe some conversation mm-hmm. about what could have been done better too. Um, mm. But predominantly, it's, it, what I find with those conversations is that, you know, if I read a business book, sure, I get some ideas and thoughts out of it for, for my own business. When I hear what mm. other people are taking from it for their business, that gives me another raft of ideas. So I'm getting a much richer experience from without mm. having to do really any extra work. I'm still only reading the book once, uh, but I'm now mm. getting some extra insight about what it's telling me, and that's really useful. And how easy or difficult is it to to make that choice for the book for each month well it's not my choice it's the choice of the members of the book club so i have um i ask them to make suggestions and then we have a poll on the uh, on the suggestions that have been made and the and the members pick it so if you join the book club you'll have a chance to influence uh, what books we read too so of the books that you've done so far is there one that really stands out uh, yeah, I started this actually in, in January, not knowing that coronavirus was going to come along and lots more people would be, have time to read, which is, you know, fortuitous, I guess, in a way. Um, we've read, so we've read three books, January, February, March. January, we read a book called Building a Story Brand, which is a marketing book written by Donald Miller. I really like that one in terms of how it helps to give clarity around the story you need to tell. It's really good. Uh, February, we read Nancy Duarte's book, Resonate. Uh, and that's a book about building great presentations. So if you're a speaker or want to speak, um, it's really it's not about the PowerPoint. It's about how you present from the stage to get the message across clearly. Um, mm. And then uh, last month we read a book called Atomic Habits by a chap called James mm. Clear. And that's mm. about how you build into your daily schedule the things that you need to uh, to add to it to get the right things done and how you get rid of the things that you're doing habitually that are just a drain on your time and resources and really you don't want to do but you find yourself doing anyway Um, Mm. so all of them I in their own way uh, I've had a lot of value from uh, but Mm. I think building a story brand would be my marginal winner in terms Mm. of the value to my business doesn't mean it'd be the right one for you though I mean just that's a personal experience Well, I read that and I got a lot from it. And I also got a lot from um, Atomic Habits as well. And it also, yeah, it's helped me establish a few habits, which I'm still continuing to this day. So, yeah, I, I really enjoyed both of those. I don't know the Nancy Duarte one. I've heard of that. Yeah, the other two are excellent. Yeah. Well, listen, before before we go, William, um, is do, do you have a, a quotation that you particularly like? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think we were just, certainly when we're talking about working with uh, other businesses and, and thinking about communication and how we, we talk to each other, uh, George Bernard Shaw said the, the single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that it has taken place. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, it's a guiding light to me that I, that, uh, you know, I may have sent an email that I think is clear and then people give a very different answer. And you think, you know, is that their fault? Almost invariably it isn't. Almost invariably it's mine for not being clear enough. So, yeah. you know, checking that you have communicated, checking what's been received, uh, really high on my list of things that are worth doing uh, when something's really important. 
Mm. I, I think that is such a good quote because it's so often people don't realise that it's you know what they've initially communicated just wasn't as clear as they thought it was. was. And but they often refuse to take responsibility for that. Yeah. And it's the other person. <laughs> Quite. Well, William, it's been um, it's been a pleasure having you on. I really enjoyed some of the stories. So thank you. Oh, it's a pleasure, Tony, and, and, and enjoyed being here too. So thank you very much indeed. I really appreciate it. Thank you, William. Next week is episode eighty-five with Alex Moscow, and he I think he should be called the Ideas Man. He's so creative. He's in PR. We're going to hear a lot more about the world of PR and also about the world of creativity. So that's next week's episode with Alex Musco. Hope you've enjoyed this week's show. Please do share it with someone who would really find some value from it. And I hope you have a great week.